0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. We've got a lot of teaching to do tonight. We want to cover a lot of ground. We're laying a foundation for the subject of divine healing, and we're discussing developing your faith concerning divine healing. Now, remember, our reason for teaching on Wednesday nights concerning this great subject is so that we can present to you the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ, And also so that your faith would stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. We believe that Jesus is our healer. He's God's way of healing. He's God's power to promote health. He has already been crucified. He has already paid the price. He has already healed us. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, we want to read the first Uh, Twelve verses at least. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit that's within us to unveil and unfold the word unto our spirits, to give direction unto our spirits, to give illumination unto our minds, that we may walk in the light thereof and be doers of the word and not hearers only, fulfilling your word in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that All our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, or examples, or types that, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. Now, go over to the book of Hebrews in the third chapter. We'll begin here also reading with verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years." Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And verse 19 says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, as we have read these two passages of scriptures, I want to reiterate to you and remind you, of what we have called the law of Bible interpretation. Remember, we said that in discussing any major subject of the Bible, it's necessary that we understand four things. Number one, what was God's initial will from the beginning without any interference from man? What was the initial will of God, His purpose in the beginning? Number two, What happened when man got his will and interfered in the will of God? As you know and as well as I know that satanic influence had something to do with it, but nonetheless, man being a free moral agent yielded his own will and sinned against God and what effect did that have in the plan of God or to the plan of God? Number three, what was God's will through Jesus Christ? And how did he reestablish will in the earth through Jesus Christ? And number four, how do I make God's will my will? Or how do I carry out the will of God concerning my life? Now, here we see in these two passages of Scripture, it's very evident that Israel's deliverance from the Egyptian bondage and the events that took place uh, until Joshua finally brought them into Canaan's land are events that we should understand and know concerning the subject, any subject, but especially the subject of divine healing. Because it's talking about God's initial will in their deliverance out of the Egyptian bondage. And we're going to take up our, our law of Bible interpretation and we're going to use it and we're going to explain what took place when Israel was actually delivered from the Egyptian bondage. But I want you to note that... The writer here in Hebrews and the writer in 1 Corinthians, who was Paul the Apostle, also referred to these instances back there in the Old Testament and warned both of these troubled churches or groups of people about their not entering into the fullness of God if they continued in their way and said, go back into the Old Testament and discover what took place back there in the lives of these people and use these events as an example unto your life, so that you don't fall after their same example of unbelief. And if it's not important that he deliver this message twice in the New Testament, then again, by the, 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 the law of Bible interpretation, we should go back and study this in light of the New Testament, not in light of the Old. Study these events in light of the New, not just in light of the Old. We don't interpret the new by the old, we interpret the old by the new, because the new has more revealed knowledge than the old. So consequently, as we see what Paul brought out in 1 Corinthians, and also the writer here in Hebrews 3, this type of their deliverance from the Egyptian bondage is a type of our being delivered from the world and satanic bondage. It is a physical truth back there. It is a spiritual truth in the the age that we live in. Okay. In 1 Corinthians, we are to note at least, if you want to go back there, but we should note at least these facts. Paul said to them that the events that took place back there were given to us for an example. And as you go back there in... uh, The 10th chapter, let's take a look at verse 11. Now, all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. All those things that took place back there can be an example unto us, and the reason why they were written was for our admonition, meaning that they hold some bearing in our lives if we were to go back and study and understand what took place and the events that took place. But the next verse is very important. Wherefore, because of all that took place, and as you see, we've got to start way back from the beginning here where it talks about that Christ was the rock that followed them. It was a spiritual rock. The rock was Christ. And the events from the time of their deliverance unto the time of their entering into Canaan's land and really the time that they didn't enter into Canaan's land because of unbelief and disobedience are very important for us to know. Now here it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth. I don't want to just think I stand. You better take heed to what? To the examples and to the instruction that we receive from this teaching lest we fall in the New Testament. After the same example Hebrews said of unbelief. Or of disobedience. Now in Hebrews 3, he carries a stronger language and says that if we don't take heed as to what took place in the provocation, if we don't fully understand what happened back there, then we will not enter into his rest because of unbelief. Now, you say, how are we drawing this and tying this together with divine healing? Well, our three scriptures that we gave you are found in Exodus the 15th chapter verse 26, Exodus the 23rd chapter verses 20 through 26, and Deuteronomy the 7th chapter and verse 14. Now what we're going to 14 to 15, what we are going to do, we're going to follow our law of Bible interpretation And find out exactly, number one, what was the will of God concerning the Israelites when they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage. Go back to Exodus, the 23rd chapter, and we'll see it. Exodus chapter 23. We'll begin reading at verse 20. So you can write this down if you're taking notes as number one. God's will concerning the Israelites and their deliverance from the Egyptian bondage. The will of God. Okay? This is without interference from man now. Behold, I sent an angel before you. This is 23rd chapter, verse 20. To keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's very important. Underline it. The Father has prepared a place for them. That sounds like Jesus going off to glory. Aren't you glad that the place that the Jesus had prepared for us is far better than the place that the Father prepared for them? He hasn't prepared for us Canaan's land. He has prepared for us the throne room. Amen? Okay. And he said, And I'm going to... Beware of um, this angel... And obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now he gives them instructions, and on down in verse 25, he tells them exactly what his will is concerning them in this land. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your water, and bless your bread and your water, and I will, now note this, I will take away from thee sickness and disease. I will take all sickness and disease away from the midst of you. Now listen. If we want to understand what the will of God was concerning the Israelites when they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage, all we have to do is find out what He said He would do for them or what He said His will was. The word is His will. Number one, it was the Father's will that the Israelites be totally delivered from Egypt, their bondage, in all that Egypt represents and stands for. They were living there. They were provided for by, by Egypt. They had their way of living there. They had doctors there. They had the ways of the Egyptians. They lived under their customs. They were a people that were really in bondage under another rule. But it was the will of the Father that they be totally delivered from this type of living and brought to a place where He could be unto them a God and they could be utterly dependent upon Him in all things. In other words, He would provide all things for them. So it's the will of the Father that they be totally delivered from the Egyptian bondage. Now listen to me. Number two. You know as well as I do, that when they ate the Passover supper, lamb, not only did it provide for them a literal deliverance from that bondage, but it also provided for them healing, if any were sick. Now listen, if anybody is in bondage to Satan and in darkness, and you're not born again, he wants you to be delivered from Satan and His darkness and His bondage and He wants you to be healed by partaking of the Lamb. That is clearly seen and understood in the 105th Psalm verse 37 when we find out that when they ate of that Lamb there was not one feeble among their tribe. Every single one of them came out whole. In other words God's initial will was that they be totally delivered and totally healed. Twofold act of redemption. Set free spiritually and set free physically. That's the will of God. Number two, concerning this will, that's their first deliverance, concerning the will of the Father would be that when they entered into the land, He would bless their bread, bless their water, take sickness away from the midst of them, prevent them from having miscarriages, and grant them and satisfy them with a long and with a full life. Here we have the will of the Father concerning the Israelites when they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage. Okay. Even though the Father provided the place for them, even though the Father sent an angel before them to go into the land to drive out all the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all the ites, to drive them out of the land, and even though it was His will that they enter into that land, Not all of them entered into that land, and the majority of those that were delivered did not enter into that land. Now, when we bring this into type, the Old Testament, this is a type and a shadow of the New Testament. We are talking about when a person gets saved and delivered from the world, delivered from the devil and the flesh, and is born again into the family of God. It is the will of the Father that that person, if he was sick, be healed. And then, once you are, He brings you to a place in Him that He blesses your bread, blesses your water, takes sickness away from the midst of you, prevents any miscarriages in your life and your family and your flocks and so on and so forth, and then grants you long life, healthy days, a full life until you're satisfied, until you go off to be with Him in glory. Now we have established the initial will of the Father concerning their deliverance and concerning ours. Because we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Now, even though all that's true, they did not enter in. Now, my question is this. I don't stop there. I say, I want to know why they did not enter in. And I want to know why that if it was the will of the Father, the will was not being done in their lives. I have to know why. If I know why, then I'll know why I... Well, first of all, I know why people are defeated in life today, if I know how they were defeated back then. But also, I'll know by their example what not to do, and I'll know by their example what to do. And when I flow with what to do, I flow with the will of God, and I will reap the blessings that He has provided for us. Beloved, this is not uh, a a fight that we're fighting that's going to take place until, until Jesus comes back and we can't enjoy the benefits. The book of Hebrews later on in the fourth chapter said that we are to hurry or to use speed to enter into his rest. In other words, when they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage, they were supposed to run as fast as they could to Canaan's land. And get in there, I mean, lock, stock, and barrel as quick as they can. Well, you and I got delivered. The Bible says the labor to enter into that rest. Labor to enter into that rest. The word labor there means to use speed. Use speed to enter into that rest. In other words, be quick and be in a hurry to enter into that rest. See, there's a place of rest for the children of God. Now, I took it upon myself, as you knew I would, to discover and to find out why all these wonderful men, leaders, children of God, children of Israel, did not enter into the promised land. Let's take Moses and Aaron. Go to Numbers, the 20th chapter. When I find out why these guys didn't make it, I don't know why I can. Amen? I can learn by their mistakes. Aren't you glad? I can learn and find out what not to do. <clears throat> now, you recall that Moses, being separated, when all the children were being put to death, Moses was put in a basket, and you know the story, found in Egypt, Grew up there in Egypt, held a place of high esteem, highly honored. But he chose not the riches and the treasures of Egypt. He chose to follow his countrymen. He would not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a moment, but would rather wax strong in the Spirit and stand in faith and be with his countrymen and stand against the forces of evil and deliver God's people out of the Egyptian bondage. You recall his visitation from the Father God. He was honored with a visitation in the burning bush when the, Lord, when the Lord spoke unto him out of the bush and said that I am that I am, and told him to take off his shoes because he's standing upon holy ground. And you recall that he, after hearing the voice of the Lord, and after much persuasion from the Lord, decided to do what the Father told him to do and began his ministry. He found flat on his face the first time he did it because he tried to do it in the flesh. So he picked up the pieces, went 40 years up in the wilderness. Up on a mountain somewhere, and God had to change him and and, uh, work it out inside of him so that he can be effective in the spirit. And finally, we got himself turned around. He and Aaron got together and got what is called the rod, and went before Pharaoh and all the Egyptians and stood before their face and said that the the Lord that I serve, the God that I serve, said to let my people go. And if you don't let him go, then he's going to stand against you and all your gods, and you're going to find out who's greater, my God or your God. Now, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Egypt is a type of the world. Satan is the God of this world. And so Moses and Aaron stood there before Pharaoh. And one plague after another plague that defied, defied all the gods of uh, Egypt, all the satanic forces wherein they trusted, God proved to be greater than all the gods of Egypt. And finally, the rod turned into a serpent, which is a type of Christ, became the curse, the serpent. He became the curse. A type of spiritual death that Jesus became and swallowed up all the serpents of the Egyptians, sorcerers and magicians. Consequently, he proved that God was greater than the devil. Amen. And all these marvelous things took place and took the same rod when he got off into the wilderness and, and were actually delivered from the Egyptian bondage and went by the way of the Red Sea. And there was mountains on one side and, the, you know, the, the Egyptian behind them and the water and the Red Sea before them, they had no way to go. And Moses again cried unto the Lord, and, and the Lord said unto him, Why are you crying out unto me? Just stretch forth the rod. Use the rod. And Moses stretched forth the rod, and the waters were congealed, and they went across the, the rivers on dry shod. Egyptians decided to do so, and they all fell under in the midst of the sea. And when they got to the other side, Moses sang a, da- a, a song and, and danced a, a, a dance of deliverance. And they were rejoicing. The horse and the rider all fell into the sea, and our God is greater, hallelujah. And Miriam kept up her heels and she began to sing a song and she rejoiced in her heart and she led them in a a chorus, bless God. Oh, she was just so excited and she was just so, I mean, she was emotional, amen. She just got, you know, emotional about the whole thing. She was all excited about it. I mean, they were a delivered people. They were a glorious people. They were a set free people. And those that were lame were walking. And those that were deaf were hearing. And those that were blind were seeing. And those that were, you know, just had no strength and then were made filled, just filled with strength. Because they were delivered by their God. That was the will of God. And bless God, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you get delivered from satanic bondage and you cross that river, bless God, and you walk in, in the presence of the Spirit of the living God, He does the same for you. There's no difference. We have a greater deliverance than what they had. But you can imagine when everybody gets born again, they kick up their heels, they sing a song, they shout, and they begin to dance. Well, bless God, that only lasts for a while. Unless you get into the Word of God. I said, unless you get into the Word of God, that's only going to last for a short time. But if you get into the Word of God, then you can sing forever. You can sing until Jesus comes back. Now, I don't know about you. I've learned how the Word of Faith works. I've been singing. I've been singing ever since I've been saved, And I'm not going to stop for anybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just going to stay on the mountain. Amen? Okay. Now, all that about this great man of God, this man that stood before God, went up on the Mount Sinai and got all the commandments of the Lord and stood there forty days and forty nights until his face shone as an angel and came down from the mountain that smoked and stood before the children of Israel and said unto them, this is what the Lord said for you to do. And they couldn't stand to look on his face because of the glory of the Lord that shone from his face. The same one, the same Moses that spent 120 years of his life practically to get these children to a place of entering into the promised land did not make it. I said he did not make it. He didn't make it. Aaron, who stood in the position of the high priest, who walked into the holiest of all, stood there before the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of God to offer the blood sacrifice of atonement for the sins of Israel. Didn't enter in. Didn't enter in. And you say, Lord, what does that leave me? Find out what he did wrong, and you'll enter in. And we find out here in Numbers, the 20th chapter, verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. Underline the word, speak ye. Speak ye unto the rock. Before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beef drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Boy, I wouldn't want to sit under that kind of condemnation teaching, would you? Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not. You better underline that right there. Because ye believe me not. To to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this. Therefore you shall not. Therefore you shall not. You underline that. Didn't I tell you that God's will is established? But man had to do something to nullify the will of God? Even though God established His will, man did something to nullify that will. He interfered with that will. And here's why. Because you didn't believe me, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, Aaron was standing right by his side, and they both... Did exactly Well let's find out what they did wrong You go back there Now remember something here The rock 1 Corinthians 10 said That was following them was who? Christ It was the same spiritual rock That followed them That gave them meat and drink And that rock was Christ This is only in type he is a, This rock is a type of Christ Okay We have many types of Christ In the Old Testament Now notice What the Lord spoke to him And said for him to do Verse 8 Take the rod And gather the assembly together Look at verse 9. Moses took the rod as the Lord commanded, and the first part of verse 10 says they gathered the congregation together. That's exactly what the Lord told them to do. That's obedience. That's exactly what the Lord told them to do. Don't tell me that God doesn't work by law. And don't tell me that God doesn't work by formula. Because the first two steps were right, but the next ones were wrong. And because they did not do what he said to do, they're not entering into the promised land. Look at the next. Back up to verse 8. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give you give forth his water, his water, his water. Speak unto the rock. Okay? Look what Moses and Aaron did. Verse ten again. They gathered them together, they got the rod. That's exactly what he said to do. And he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels. God did not tell him to chew out the Israelites. He did not tell him to speak to the Israelites. He said, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Sin number one. Okay? Number two. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Must we? Sin number two. Instead of bringing glory unto God, they thought they were better than the Israelites and said, must we fetch out water from this rock for you again? Like as though we're somebody. Sin number two. Instead of glorifying God, they glorified themselves. Sin number three. You mark this down in your Bible and never forget this sin. Never forget this sin. And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice. The rock that followed them was Christ. The first time that Moses... Smote the rock Is a type of the crucifixion Of our Lord Jesus Christ The very first time He smote the rock That was a type Of the crucifixion Of the Lord Jesus Christ When Moses Got the rod And struck the rock twice This is a type Of Moses Crucifying Christ afresh this is a type of Moses crucifying Christ afresh. In more heavier language, in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, it says that if a man come to this place, then he has been made a partaker of the Holy Ghost and a taster of the good things of God and of the world that is to come. If he shall again fall away, it is impossible to renew him unto the faith because this fellow has crucified to himself the Lord Jesus Christ. And caused his blood to be an open shame. This is a type of Moses crucifying Christ again. Now, let me give you the import. Once Christ was crucified, which was the type of the first time he smote the rock, the provision was already made. There was no need for Christ to die again when the provision was made. If they wanted water or if they wanted food or if they wanted healing, there was no need for Moses to go back and smite the rock again. In other words, what the Lord told him to speak, then water would have came out of the rock. But because he did this, not only did he, God say to him that he wouldn't enter the promised land, but you'll find out down here, go on down to verse 24, 23 and 24. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor, by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter. I mean to tell you that these are devastating words, beloved. God's whole purpose was that they enter. And now he says they shall not enter. They sh- he- Aaron shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because because... You rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. You rebelled against my word. My word said that Christ was crucified once. And you wanted me to crucify him again. Now here, let me give you the important. Let me give you the, the type and shadow. Beloved, you that have been born again are saved and healed. We've got Christians walking around the earth saying... Lord, I can't wait till God does something about this sickness that's in my body. You want Him to make Jesus die for you again? Is that what you're saying? Has not the sacrifice been made? Hasn't God done something about your body? I'll tell you what, I would never say that in a million years if I lived that long on this earth. If I never obtained my healing, I would never say, When are you going to do something about this in my body, Lord? Because he'll say to you, do you want me to send Jesus to die for you again? Do you want me to have him crucified again? Did I not say to you that the rock was already smitten once? Has not Jesus been crucified? Has not the provision already been made? That's why words of doubt and unbelief, they're stout against the Lord. And when they're spoken into his ears, he cannot stand to hear it. I mean to tell you, I will never, you'll never hear out of my mouth. When I get the light and the knowledge of the things that we have, the Bible says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've got no business saying, Lord, when are you going to do... Someone says, Lord, when are you going to do something about my finances? Well, I'll tell you something. Someone says, Lord, when are you going to put food on our table and make provision for that? Your words are so stout against the Lord, he will not hear and answer that. I mean, that was a type that Moses did. You're never going to catch me crucifying Christ afresh. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you getting a hold of the import of this? The depths of it? Listen, beloved. The sacrifice, that was a type, but the sacrifice has been made. Jesus has died. He's risen again. And the Bible says, with his stripes you were healed. That means it's done. That means it's settled. As far as heaven's concerned, for me to ask him to do something about it is like saying, crucify Jesus again. No. I can go to him and say, now, Father God, by his stripes I'm healed and remove this thing off of my body. Okay. Okay. But you're never going to get me and say, when are you going to do something about this disease or the sickness that's attached to my body? Because he's not going to crucify Jesus again. Okay, we see that Moses didn't enter in, and we see that Aaron didn't enter in. Now, let's give, let's give you another picture. I love this. Miriam. Miriam. Miriam is a type of an emotionalist. I mean, you'll find them in the church singing and shouting and dancing with a loud voice you'll find them kicking up their heels. And I mean, just all on fire and glory and, you know, just shouting and magnifying God. They walk three steps beyond the door and the devil taps them on the shoulder and they're whining and they're crying. Miriam did that. They got delivered from the Egyptian bondage. they got across the Red Sea. Boy, I'll tell you what, she put on them spiritual muscles and she got that song and she began to dance and she began to rejoice and just, I mean, just to go all around and everybody was just shouting and hooping and, and hollering. And that's emotionalism. The first time they got to the waters, they said, well, now, when's the Lord going to do something about this? They began to murmur and complain. Finally, she got so jealous of Moses, because uh, the woman that he wanted to marry and married, he, she got so upset about it that Aaron and her both began to complain, and she got smitten with leprosy. Finally, Moses prayed for her to be healed, and she got healed, and she just kept on with that mouth of hers, even though she seemed to be so spiritual, because she was just, just, you know, just uh, hooping and hollering and shouting and dancing and... Thank God for that, beloved. But when it comes to your being delivered, you've got to have more in your heart than just a hooping and a hollering and a shouting. You've got to have the Word of the living God planted inside your heart. You've got to speak that Word with authority. It's good to be cheerful, and it's good to be joyous. But I'll tell you what. Come hell and high water. Come, come all the for- satanic forces around us. When that time comes, you're going to need more than that. You need uh, the Word in that song. That's what you need. You need to sing the Word is working mightily in me. Amen? Okay, Miriam did not enter in. Now, I don't want to spend much time on that, even though I call her the emotionalist, she didn't enter in. So just singing ain't going to get your way in. If you sing the word, all right. But just singing's not going to get your way in. Now, notice that every one of these so far, although every one of them had the promise of entering into the fullness of being healed and staying healthy, having their water blessed, their bread blessed, their body blessed, and and so on and so forth, none of them made it yet. I'm going to find out why. Let's look at the next set. Here we have ten spies. These ten spies are sent to spy out the land. It's in Numbers the 14th or the 13th chapter. And Moses was told to take a representative from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel and have them go out and spy out the land. And come back and give a report as to what's going on. Now they have come to the place that God wants them. They are right at the gate. They're just about to enter in. All that's necessary is to obey what God said. Just enter into the land and take the promised land and enjoy the blessings that we've discussed. Now the will's established. God's will's established. And here here we see 12 spies going out. Ten spies come back and they begin to bring an evil report up against the land. Now, they're supposed to enter into this land, beloved. Now, remember, this is a type of the church also. Are you hearing me? This is a type of why the body of Christ has not entered into the rest of God, the fullness of God, walking in divine health, walking in prosperity. This is why they're not enter into this. They come to the land, where there's a giant there, and when the giant looks them in the eye, they shrink back in fear and run away. These people turned coward. These representative leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel, ten of them fainted, Turned coward because of fear. They stood there before the land in unbelief. And because of their unbelief, we saw in Hebrews, the third chapter, the 19th verse, they could not enter in. See, we're talking about why they couldn't enter in all these blessings. Because of unbelief. Fear drove them to unbelief. That, you know, that giant of sickness, that giant of, of poverty, that giant of affliction persecution, all those giants out there of tuberculosis and cancer and all these other things, those giants out there when he began to see them before the land, they says we can't enter into this land but now wait a minute the Lord says, I'll send an angel before your face. He'll drive out the inhabitants of the land. I will go before you. We're going to just destroy all them and you're going to enter in and we're going to have a party inside there, a hallelujah one. I'm going to build to you an empire and a utopia that's never been seen before throughout all the earth. No sickness can dwell there. No disease can dwell there. No poverty can live there. Nothing that afflicts and hurts can dwell in that place because I will be in the midst of you. But 12, these ten spies come back and they come over with an evil report. They did not enter in. you mock them off. Don't follow them. Don't follow Moses. Don't follow Aaron. Don't follow Miriam. You know, I don't care if you're a leader. I don't care just like him, him and the high priest. You know, Aaron's position of high priest. Don't be an emotionalist like, like Miriam. And here, don't be a leader like one of these 12, ten spies. Now, we've got two other individuals I want you to follow. Joshua and Caleb. You circle them. We're not going to talk about them right now. We're going to save that for the shouting grounds. Now, Here we see why Moses, Aaron, Miriam, and the ten spies didn't enter into the promised land. Okay? Because every time they came up against a little bit of a wall, they turned coward. Now, let's find out why Israel itself did not enter into the promised land. Israel, God's people were to to enter into this land. In the 14th chapter, verse 2. This is something you're going to mark down in your book and never forget. Never, never, never forget this. Never forget this. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Okay? Underline the word murmured. They murmured. We have at least eight recordings of the children of Israel themselves murmuring against Moses and Aaron. You write this down as a type. Moses represents, we could say, the Father God, and Aaron, the High Priest, Jesus. They didn't murmur against Moses and Aaron, as you'll read in in, later on in the same chapter. They murmured against God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They smote that rock twice. Moses crucified Christ afresh. They murmured against the Father, and they murmured against the Son. They murmured against the Father, and they murmured against the Son. Now open up your ears. Out of five of those eight murmurings, five of them were for bread and water. Out of the eight things that they murmured about was bread and water. Would to God you brought us out in the wilderness and we didn't have no water to drink? So they got water. They go a little bit further. Would to God you brought us out in the wilderness and there's no food to eat? So He fed them manna from heaven. A little bit further. Would to the God is there's no water for us to drink again? Bitter water here. And so they threw in the tree and it became sweet water. A little bit further. Would to the God there's no bread for us to eat again? Murmuring day after day. Every time they come up against a little bit short on their paycheck, then they murmur. Every time they get maybe a loaf of bread in the refrigerator or something like that, then they murmur. Every time there's no water to drink, then they murmur. I'm talking about your financial situation. I'm talking about the things that you need to eat. Is it not amazing that the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did when He came to the earth and finally God had a voice through the man Jesus and spoke the mind of God, He said to those that were His followers, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Isn't that something? They murmured. Actually, what they did to the Father God was so disgusting and so disgraceful. Hear me. Jesus said in Matthew 7-11, 7-11, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto him, ask and receiveth him, and knocketh, it. it shall be opened unto him that and so on and so forth. And he went on to say, which man among you, a father, if a son would ask a loaf of bread, would he give a serpent? And if he asked an egg, you know, would he give him a scorpion? And if you being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more? You can hear the heart cry of the Father God. These people could not believe that the Father that delivered them from all that ungodly bondage From all the gods of Egypt, they couldn't believe that he would feed them and give them food and drink. It was a direct insult to the Father heart of God. And whenever anybody says, I can't seem to pay my bills, I can't seem to have enough for food, I can't say, don't do that. That's a direct insult to the Father Jesus said, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor yet for your, for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap. And they don't gather in the barns, but your heavenly father feed them. Aren't you much, much better than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature anyhow? And why take your thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. But Solomon in all his glory was not as raised such as one of these. Take no thought for your life saying, what are we going to do for all these things? The Gentiles seek after all those things, but you, he said, your father knows you have need of all those things. Just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and those necessities of life shall be added unto you. Why do you think he emphasized that? Why do you think he spent so much time saying that? Why do you think he he presented to them the father heart of God? The father will never allow his people to beg bread. This hogwash about get yourself some canned foods and and store them all away for the time is coming that you're not going to be able to eat. I don't care if I got a morsel, my father will multiply that a thousand times over, a million times over to keep me going. Never has there been an age where the father would not feed his children. Don't humiliate and insult the father and his heart by declaring such statements. That's why people don't get their finances met. That's why people don't get their needs met. Well, let's go on here. I want you to notice in the same chapter, verse 27, how long. Look at, look at verse 26 first. I want to show you the despondency here in the voice of God. I want you to see that He did all in His power to carry out His perfect will. But listen to the words. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against who? Against who? Against me. Not Moses and Aaron. They murmured against the Father. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them... As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, spoken, spoken, spoken in my ears, spoken. Instead of speaking to the rock, instead of speaking to the giant, instead of speaking to the mountain of adversity, and saying like Joshua and Caleb, I don't care how many giants be in the land. Don't speak evil of the Lord. Speak evil of the adversary. Bless God, our God is well able to put us over, and we're going in. And they want to stone them. Because they spoke evil against the Lord. Listen, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. You can have what you say. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to the whole number from twenty years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless, you shall not come into the land. Oh, there it is. See, the provision was made. The will was established. All they had to do was enter in hurriedly. But here's the judgment. All that were numbered of you, all these... Are not going in, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear. Now, I want you to note something here. That word swear, circle it. When this jumped out inside my spirit, I just, I was baffled. That word swear means lifted up my hand. Look what he says Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I lifted up my hand to make you dwell therein. Which I lifted up my hand to make you dwell therein. Who do you think is on the Father's right hand? Who? Jesus. Who do you think was lifted up? How were they going to get into that land? It was a type of Christ. He lifted up His hand to make them enter into that land. And He says, now you will enter in, even though I swore from the beginning. Even though I lifted up my hand to do it, you will not enter in. You will not enter in, except. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. Except Joshua, or Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Except. Circle the word save, accept Except. Save, accept, 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 accept. Who are you going to follow, beloved? Out of all these people, these two entered in. I'm not going to follow the faith of these others. I'm going to be one of a different spirit. Now, I want you to note something. Jesus is the type here. He is the example. He is the one that followed them. Remember, in the beginning we said that spiritual walk that followed them was Christ. So Christ was that spiritual rock. He was the one that was following them. And all the things that were taking place were because Christ was provided. He was given the provision. He was the one that provided all these things for them. Okay? Now, he was against... The Lord had to keep honor his word because they disobeyed. Uh, the angels that went before them could not do their work. They could not drive out the inhabitants of the land. So on and so forth. But I want you to see something here in the book of Romans. Uh, hold your place there. Romans. The eight. Hold your place there in numbers and go to Romans the eighth chapter. <clears throat> they insulted the fatherhood of God. They insulted His integrity. They insulted His word. They insulted his ability. They insulted his son, his provision. They purposely turned their back on that which was provided for them. Moses went as far as to commit a type of recrucifying Christ. Here we see in the New Testament that God has revealed himself unto us as a father. Jesus said that he would provide our every need. He said, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. He went on to give all the other descriptions of the Father God, how he would be to us a father, we would be to them sons and daughters. In this 8th chapter, verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? In the New Testament, our better covenant is established upon this better promise. That walk that followed them was only a type of Christ. But we found out that through Abraham and through the lineage of David, right on down to that, Christ came. And in verse 32 he says, He that spared not his only son, but actually did deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now we have already been told that he is with us, he is in us, and he is for us. He has now provided not the rock, not the type, but he has provided the rock, the Son of the living God. He has come, he's been crucified once for you and for me. Now look what he says. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution... Now look at these next two. Or famine, or nakedness. What are we going to eat? How are we going to pay our bills? What are we going to buy clothing? You think this generation is any different than them Israelites? You go into the average household, and I'm talking about Christian household, and you will hear them complain day and night concerning where are we going to get our next dollar. How is God going to, how is God going to do this? How are we going to pay our bills? What's it, beloved, I mean to tell you something. If you ever heard anything I want you to hear this. That the Father is your bread provider. That the Father God did not give birth to you to leave you out in some place of famine and nakedness and peril and say, I'm not going to give you that loaf of bread you've asked for. And I'm not going to supply the fish for your table to eat. And I'm not going to see to it that you have clothing on your back. To degrade the Father like that is just the same as crucifying Christ afresh, as far as I'm concerned. To think that the Father God would be Do all this for us and then to be that way, I can't imagine how anybody could make such an accusation. When that giant of doubt and unbelief and fears and worries come concerning your finances, I want you to stand there and look that giant right in the eye and say just like this, I don't care how big you get. I don't care how big of a mountain you seem to be. I am speaking to you in the name of Jesus, and I'm telling you that my Father is with me, He's in me, and He's for me, and He feeds me, He supplies my every need according to His riches and glory, and He doesn't have to crucify Christ to do it again, or again to do it. It's already been provided for. It's already been done. Now, He goes on by saying, let's look at it, or pair, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more, more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor powers, nor things present, you couldn't get bigger mountains than that. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as we said Egypt was a type of the world. We said Pharaoh was a type of Satan. We said the rod was a type of Christ. We said a serpent was a type of Jesus becoming the curse for us, becoming death for us, spiritual death and in, in, uh, nullifying the curse for us. Go back to Numbers, the 14th chapter again. If you want to learn how to be healed and if you want to learn how to stay in, in divine health, you need this foundation under you right now. You need to know that when God provided Christ for us, that that was all he was going to do. That was all the provision he was going to make. We don't have to ask him to crucify Jesus again to heal our bodies or to provide our needs. Go back to this 14th chapter, and uh, I want you to see something here in verse 24. All this, we've been talking about the negative side. We've been talking about all that they did to stop themselves from entering into the promised land. The Father's will was established, but man's will destroyed the Father's will. Although he swore by himself, although he lifted up his hand to get him into that land, they did not enter into that land that floweth with milk and honey, where their bread and water would be blessed, where sickness would be removed from the midst of them, where there would be no children lost, and where they would live a long, full life. They didn't enter in. But, praise God, but my servant, verse 24, oh, but my servant Caleb, Because, here's why. See, I like to know the whys. Moses, because he didn't obey. Aaron, because he didn't obey. The spy, Miriam, because she was rebellious. The ten spies, because they didn't believe. Cowards. By the way, the plague came on every one of them and killed them. Because they didn't believe. The children of Israel, well because they murmured and didn't believe that God would provide bread. And what they spoke, well, they got what they spoke. They said we'd die in the wilderness, and they did. But, oh, this is where I'm at, beloved. This is where I'm living my life. You can live the kind of Christian life you want, but, oh, glory to God, this is where I'm living my life. But because my servant Caleb had another spirit within inside him and had followed me fully, him will I. Him will I bring into the land wherein he went, wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. And as you read the book of Joshua in the 14th chapter, you find out that because this man followed the Lord holy, because when he got to the mountains of adversity, Joshua and Caleb stood there with their mouth not filled with doubt and unbelief, not filled with disobedience in their heart, but they said, "I know that." Now listen, this is the faith message in a nutshell. They did not deny the giants. They did not deny the size of them. They did not deny the strength of them. But they had a but in their mouth. They said, but even though there's giants, even though they look so big, even though they look so strong, even though they outnumber us, but don't rebel against the Lord. But they are bred for us because the Lord that we serve, He's far greater than them. He's far bigger than them. Let's not rebel against the Lord any further. Let's go march in and take the land. Hallelujah. You say, boy, that's really talking, isn't it? Yeah. But that's the only two that got in. That's the only two that got in. What the Father established for the whole nation, two got in. What percentage is that? Plus those that were not of age. What percentage was that? God's will was established for everybody. How many are walking in it right now? You go to churches and you hear it over and over again they're praying for God to do something about their problems. Oh, Lord, please do something. They're waiting for God to send the power. They don't know that they're filled with the Holy Ghost, the powerhouse. Waiting for God to do this or do that. and getting all You know, just like all the pattern here. When is somebody going to realize that Jesus Christ has been crucified and we have been delivered, we have been set free, we have been healed, we have been provided for, we have been made free and, and liberty is ours and we've got the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, and God is for us, God is in us, God is with us, and God is He that's in us, and He that's in the world, and we don't have to tolerate and put up with all the sickness and the disease and the poverty and all the other things of this world. You preach like that and you get kicked out of most churches. You couldn't stop me from preaching like that. Oh, glory be to God. I'll never speak against the Father. After he made a supreme sacrifice like Jesus and say... Well, when's He going to do something for me? No. Beloved, Jesus has been crucified. Let's not attempt to crucify Him again. Let's close with the Scripture in Hebrews 4.11. Real quick. We'll get on the tape and close. Let us labor. The word labor means to use speed. Let us use speed and hurry, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief or disobedience. Man, put on your sneakers. Put on your running shoes. And kick up your spiritual heels by putting the word in your mouth. And enter into His rest. That is your foundation. For anything you need from the Father. And we're going to come off this foundation. And we're going to start to build concerning ways of being healed. And ways of staying whole. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry.